The title of this morning's sermon is The Single Secret to Succeeding in the Christian Walk. Um, And while I was contemplating if I wanted to stick with that title, I realized that's quite a statement for me to make. Some kid standing in front of you saying that I have the secret, right, to succeed in this experience. Well, I was thinking about this. It reminded me of a story. And the story involves a gentleman by the name of Muhammad Ali. Does anybody in here know who Muhammad Ali is? Yes, probably all of us. His name is synonymous with many things, one of them not being humility. Um, So he was on an airplane, and I don't know if this is a true story or not, but it seems fitting. He was on an airplane, and they got up to the cruising altitude, and they ran into some turbulence, what the pilot called moderate turbulence. And we know that moderate turbulence is not moderate. Mild turbulence is quite scary, so moderate turbulence is kind of code word for if you believe in God, you may want to start praying to him at this time. But anyway, so they, they ran into this turbulence, and the uh, fasten your seatbelt sign came on, right? Everybody complied except Mr. Ali. So the stewardess went over and said, sir, could you please buckle your seatbelt? And he looked at her and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And then bless her heart, she didn't miss a beat, and she said, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> so buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> and so I tell you the story because this is somewhat of a Superman task. For some kid to stand in front of you and say, I have the secret to this this Christian walk. You know, I'm no theologian, I'm no biblical scholar, you know, I'm just a medical student. But I do know that this morning's message has impacted me dearly, and I know that God has a message for each one of you here this morning. And so my prayer has been that through the studying of God's word and uh, the reading of his scriptures, that the all-loving God that we serve will speak to sinners. Now, do you guys believe that God still does that? I do too. Now, before I get my sermon, I want to begin with a story. Okay? Actually, I'm going to tell you half of a story. Then I'm going to wait and tell you the other half of the end. That way, if the sermon doesn't go too well, nobody will be tempted to sneak out the back because you're going to want to wait and hear the story. But anyways, it involves a man named Floyd Patterson. Does anybody know who Floyd Patterson is? Okay, a few of us. He was uh, nicknamed the Gentleman of Boxing, and he had two records. The first record was he was the youngest man ever to win the heavyweight championship of boxing. 1966, he was 21 years old. Youngest man, he still holds a record to win the heavyweight championship of boxing. That was his first record. It's a pretty incredible story. Um, But nevertheless, we would say that he was quite a successful boxer in any ranks. Um, This will make more sense when we come back to the story, but that's what we're going to be talking about today is how to be successful in this Christian walk. Um, But let's have a word of prayer before we get in our Bible study. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. We thank you for the scriptures that you've given to us and the, the comfort that we can find in them. I just pray that you can condescend to this room today and to, to teach us in your word and remind us that you are a very personal Savior that we can have a personal relationship with. We love you so much. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Now, does anybody here want to be successful in the Christian walk? Uh, good. So far, so good. And one thing I love about the Christian walk is there's the emphasis on walk. You never hear it referred to as the Christian jump or the Christian leap, always the Christian walk. And this makes good sense. Now, if, if I were to ask the question, who in here thinks that they could jump five feet? Who thinks they could jump five feet in here? <laughs> Either we're shy or we're a little bit modest. I think we could all jump five feet, right? Who thinks that they could jump 10 feet? Right? We could, a few of us in here, but with a running start, we could probably jump 10 feet. Now, do you think that you could jump a mile? No, but could you walk a mile? Yeah. Could you walk 10 miles? You could probably even walk hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles, given enough time and given the proper circumstances. 
And I believe the Christian experience is not something that's accomplished all in one fell swoop or one instance, but rather something over time. You can cover vast distances walking. Now, when I set out to preach, I was determined to preach something I knew the congregation would remember. Many times I've heard sermons, I go home and tell my mom or my girlfriend Haley, say, you know, I was really blessed by today's message. And they say, well, what was it about? And I'll be like, I couldn't really remember, right? <laughs> I knew it was good, I knew I was blessed, but I couldn't really recall what it was. So there will be no 10 steps or three steps or, or two things to remember. There would just be one thing to remember. And I'm going to go so far as to say if we can remember and internalize this one thing and put it into your Christian experience, it will radically transform your life. And may I be so bold to say that you will be saved. Amen? All right, let's begin our Bible study. We're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter 5. Luke, chapter 5. Luke 5, starting in verse 36. And I hope you have your Bibles today. This will be a Bible study. Now, in, these, in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 36, we find three parables that Jesus tells. Three fairly short parables, and all of them have to do with the inappropriate mingling of the old with the new. The inappropriate mingling of the old with the new, and we're going to hone in on the last one of these three parables. And my Bible reads, starting in verse 36, And he, that's speaking of Jesus, was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. Notice that Jesus says that no one does that. Verse 37. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. Notice again, Jesus says that no one does that. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. In verse 39, the one that we're after this morning, it says, And no one after having drunk old wine, immediately desires the new, for he's still convinced that the old is better. Notice that Jesus starts all three of these. No one does this. No one does this. No one does this. He's appealing to our common sense. He's telling us that nobody does this, so we shouldn't expect to either. He understands if you put a piece of new garment on an old one, that the new piece will shrink and it'll tear both. He knows if you put new wine into old wineskins, it's going to ferment and expand, and it's going to be ruined. And now verse 39, I'll read it one more time. It says, And no one, after having drunk old wine, immediately desires the new, for he still is convinced that the old is better. Now what is the most, uh, what is the operative word of this, of this parable? What is, the, what is the word that, I guess, the rest of the, the verse hinges upon? What's that? Straightway or immediately. And do you know why that's the point? The reason that's the point is if you take that word out, it actually says the exact opposite thing right? And no one have to... Jesus is not saying that if you have drunk the old, you can't come to desire the new. He's just saying that it doesn't happen immediately. So if it doesn't happen immediately, what's implied is, is that it would take time. So could someone who's accustomed to the old come to desire the new? It just doesn't happen immediately. It's going to take some time. So there's basically two applications that I know from how people understand these, these parables. One has to do with Jesus' messianic identity. Okay, when Jesus came on the scene, he was so new and so different than what the Pharisees thought the Messiah would be, is there had to be a transition in the mindset of Judaism to, because this new wine didn't fit into the old wineskins. But that's not really what I want to talk about this morning. The second application has a little bit more effect to, to us that are in this Christian walk. It hits a little bit closer to home. And that has to do with the transition from the old life 
to the new life. And from your old choices to your new choices, and from the old person you were to the new person you can become. Now, in verse 39, it, it says that there's old wine. Now, now, what does that mean when the Bible says old wine? Any idea? Fermented wine, right? Alcoholic wine. And this, uh, this, this makes good sense. You know, I, used to, I went to a, a school called Wayne State University. Does anybody know where Wayne State University is? That's right, Detroit, Michigan. And while living there, I had the opportunity to live in some of the, the finest rundown housing that Detroit has to offer. Right? If anybody's ever been there, you can know what I'm talking about. And the last place I lived was in a beautiful spot. It was in an alley right next to a liquor store. Right? <laughs> Prime property. But anyways, around that area, is, uh, you'll find that there are many homeless people. Right? Around the liquor store, many, many drunk people trying to get money for booze. So imagine that we, if we were to go and find one of those homeless people and wake them up out of their drunkenness and say, you know, excuse me, sir, I have some news for you. You need to stop drinking this old stuff, this fermenting stuff. This isn't the good stuff. And we were to give him, you know, some, some new wine, some Welch's grape juice, right? Now, is it likely that that man would throw down the wine bottle and say, oh, hallelujah, man, thanks for this good stuff here? No, probably not. But the question is, could this man do that? But what would it probably take? Probably take a little bit of time. So if it takes time to change from the old to the new, that means it involves a process. It involves a what, everyone? Process. So I think we can deduce very logically, very biblically from Scripture, that the transition from the old to the new involves a process, but it can still be done. Can you say amen to that? All right, now I want to continue the Bible study. I want to look at three passages from Paul. Each of these are going to help to solidify this point and will show that Paul had the same understanding of the gospel is that it was something that took time and involved a process. The first one we're going to go to is Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16. And all of these verses are very familiar to us. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16. And these are, these are not some obscure passages. These are very well-known passages and they're very central to, to Paul's understanding of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 16 of my Bible reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Notice what, what Paul is saying. Now, I want you to point out this little phrase. He says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now, does anybody have any idea what the, what the point of that phrase means, from faith to faith? What is, what is symbolizing? What's that? Sure, sure. It, it, it involves growth from one level of faith to the next level of faith. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, but from what I hear is that's the same thing as saying from faith to faith, to faith, to faith, to faith, meaning something that is constantly transverse, something that happens over time in a process. Okay, now think about this. Remember, what was it that Jesus said? No one having drunk old wine. What was that next word? Immediately desires the new. Now Paul is speaking of faith, but he doesn't just say faith. He says faith to faith. This, this will make more sense as we keep going. Let's go to the next one, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Another text from Paul, 2 Corinthians 
chapter 3, we're going to read in verse 18. Second Corinthians 3, 18. And my Bible reads, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Notice here that Paul's talking about this transformation into the glory of God. And think about this. A sinner doesn't be transformed into the glory of Christ overnight. This is something that takes a little bit of time. Um, and now, does anybody have a, a new international version, an NIV version in here? Is anybody willing to? What does it say instead of glory to glory in the NIV? Nobody? Too many, too many biblical scholars here to have hope. Only King James, right? <laughs> well, anyways, in the NIV, I love how it says it. It says, ever-increasing glory. Ever-increasing glory. Glory meaning something that is always in a process from one level of Christian development to the next. One more verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Possibly the same page or just turn one page. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, lost my place. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Paul tells us don't lose heart, don't give up, don't throw in the towel, don't lose heart. But though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is being renewed how? Day by day. Now, what's the, the root word of renewed? New, right? Paul here is talking about the new person that you can become, that you could be trans in, transformed into, but how does it happen? Day by day. So think of these three, faith to faith, glory to glory, day by day. Paul is telling us that this gospel of righteousness by grace is something that is communicated in a process. You know what? I can't stress that enough. It says don't lose heart. Sometimes we, we look around and say, oh, well, that's, that's great that Christianity works for everybody else, but too bad, it, too bad it's not working for me. Right? And that's what Paul is telling us not to do, not, not, to, throw, not to throw in the towel. You know, sometimes we like uh, microwave Christianity, right? We think that we come, we come to Christ, we, we give our hearts to Him, and we should be immediately transformed. But this is something that takes a little bit of time from day to day. Now, up to this point, I've purposely left out the word sanctification, okay? Because sometimes we use those big theological terms that they kind of they mess things up. They muddy the waters a little bit more. But sanctification simply means growing to be more like God, right? And nobody jumps from being a sinner to being like God all in one instance. Now, Ellen White understood this. Can you say amen to that? should not surprise us when what Ellen White says uh, agrees with what the Bible says. So I want to read three short quotes along these lines. The first one, if you're writing these down, is The Faith I Live By, page 116. There is no such thing as instantaneous sanctification. True sanctification is a daily work, continuing as long as life shall last. So is there such a thing as sanctification? But there's no such thing as instantaneous sanctification, Right? The next one, Selected Messages, book 3, page 193. Let us be growing Christians. We are not to stand still. We are to be in advance of today of what we were yesterday, every day learning to be more trustful, more fully relying upon Jesus. Thus we are to grow up. You do not, what, you do not at one bound reach perfection. 
Sanctification is the work of a lifetime, making the same point as us. You do not at one jump. Um, and finally, the last one taken from the same book, page 202, sanctification is the progressive work of a, life, of a lifetime. Now, I'm, uh, I'm wondering if anybody else's, uh, I guess what you call, conversion is anything like mine. I had one of those weird things that, that Christians call a conversion, right? I was, uh, and even though I was raised Seventh-day Adventist, my mom drugged me to church throughout my whole life. Yet there was some point in my own life where I had to become converted, where I had to make the decision whether I was going to be a Christian, right? Maybe we've heard this, we've heard this saying before, God has no grandchildren, only children, right? You're not a Christian because your parents were. And you know, and it was, while growing up, it was never good enough for me to believe just what my mom believed, right? I went to, to university and I was a biology major and I was being force-fed total naturalism, and I'm like, you know what? This, this doesn't make much sense. So I began to study a lot of apologetics, began to see that there are great reasons to believe what we believe. Um, and, and then during this time, it's kind of a long story, you know, I was, you know, I'm, I'm all or nothing, right? I started to read the Bible, but I was still living kind of the worldly life, one foot in the church, one foot in the world, and a divided man cannot stand. Isn't that right? You're miserable either way. You can't, avoid, you can't enjoy church because you're not giving your heart to God, and you can't enjoy sin because you feel so guilty now that you're doing it. So anyways, I went to this, this school called the Arise Institute, right? Maybe some of us have heard of it. And my idea was I was going to go there, I was going to see what this Christianity had to offer, and I was either going to say, not for me, or I was going to go all the way with it. Um, and I went, I'm going all the way with it, right? As you can tell this morning. Um, but during that time, during that conversion experience, there were some things that God took away from me immediately. There were some things that took away from me immediately. One of them being simple things like the music that I listened to, right? I'm tall, skinny, white kid, but I loved rap music. I loved everything about rap. I don't know what it was. It was so appealing to me. I went to Detroit and I don't know, but I loved rap music. But when, it, but, but when I decided to be baptized and it was almost, almost overnight that I immediately just, God helped me to get rid of that stuff. He knew that that was, you know, I'm not telling you what to listen to, but this stuff was obviously bad. Um, and there was just things that, like the lifestyle I lived, the going out, the, the partying, a lot of those things God took away from me immediately because he knew that they would be too big of a stumbling block to, to progress in this Christian experience. Um, but I wish I could tell you today that every sin in my life has been like that. I wish I could tell you today that when I became a Christian, I got rid of all that stuff, and ta-da, I arrived, right? But other things have dogged me and have haunted me but it's only because it's a process. Um, and sometimes, and you know, I've been looking at my struggles a little differently. Sometimes I think that, you know, this isn't working. Why am I struggling so much? As if, as if the struggle was a bad thing. Now, I want you to imagine that me and you go fishing. Does anybody in here fish? Any fishermen, fisherwomen? I, I love to fish. My favorite thing to do in the whole world. Uh, I also love to hang out with my girlfriend, Haley. And she also likes to fish, so I got a good thing going, right? Yeah, yeah. God can give you the, the desires of your heart, can he? Um, but anyways, I want you to imagine we go fishing. And you know, I love Southern California. I love the weather, but there's not a lick of good fishing around here. I'm talking fly fishing for trout in a good river. I heard that they, they stock some trout up in, uh, there's a river. I think it's called the Santa Ana. Is that what it's called? Up in the mountains? If you guys think that's a river, I mean, come on. <laughs> I went up there. I didn't even fish. I was so, I'm like, oh, I was so depressed. But anyways, 
Imagine we go fishing and we're out on a boat. We're in, my dad, he has a great bass boat, Lake St. Clair. We're out there smallmouth fishing back in Michigan. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're having a good time. The sun's beaming down on us. And we look out on the horizon and we see somebody's arms filling up and down. And we hear them gasping for air, right? Somebody's drowning. Okay? That's option A. Option B. Imagine we're out there fishing. And uh, all of a sudden, we hear a thump. We're like, what in the world is that? And we look down on the side of the boat, and a dead body has floated up against the boat. Ruined our whole afternoon, right? The fish, not even the fish weren't biting, we were getting sunburned, but now we have this dead body we have to deal with, right? Now, who in, who in here would rather see option A? Show of hands. Maybe I shouldn't ask. Who would rather see option B? <laughs> Nobody. Now, the question is, why do you want to see A? Because there's still a chance. The struggle itself is a sign of life. Isn't that right? You know, unrepentant sinners don't struggle with sin. They sin and they love it. You know, a funny thing happened. My real struggle with sin began when I became a Christian. During undergrad, when I didn't really have much care, I would go out and I would live the, the lust-filled life. And I didn't come home and say, man, God, I sinned again, can you help me? I came home and said, when can I do it again? You know, don't tell me that sin isn't at least pleasurable for a time. But the reason that you struggle with sin and you need to praise God that you struggle is because something is working inside of you trying to overcome that old sinful nature. Does this make sense? Amen. So some sins God can take from us immediately. Others take time. It's called the Christian walk. No man having drunk old wine immediately desires the new. Because he's still convinced that the old is better. Um, now, in this Christian walk, it is quite likely that at some point, you're going to fall. At some, I'm just going to say, at some point, you're, you're probably going to fall. Um, has anybody never physically fallen in here? We all have, right? I went skiing a couple weekends ago. Took some of the worst spills of my life. I thought I was a good skier. I skied some little hills in Michigan. Then I went to Mammoth Mountain and saw what real skiing was like. And, you know, the funny thing is that the hardest fall I took wasn't even on the mountain. It's when you're walking in those ski boots and you have to walk around like Frankenstein on your heels. And then I stepped on a patch of ice and totally just bit it hard. Worst fall ever. But anyways, the point is the reason that you fall is because you're originally standing up. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. You've got to see this verse. And the Bible reads, For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked shall stumble in time of calamity. I'm going to read that one more time. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. Now, it says here that the righteous falls seven times. Now, we as Seventh-day Adventists, we know, we know the number seven, right? This, the symbol of perfection. I mean, it's, it's basically telling us here that the righteous man is pretty good at falling, right? Yeah? But notice with me, there's, also, there's another man, right? Who's the other man here? 
the wicked, and he falls too. So think about this now. Both the righteous and the wicked fall. Who falls more? And why does the righteous fall more? The reason that the righteous falls more is because he's willing to get back up. Think of it this way. Think of Peter and Judas, both of whom they, they deny Jesus in the, the Garden of Gethsemane experience, right? Right in the pivotal time in his life, I guess. So if we were to plot the rest of Judas's and Peter's life from that point forward, who would fall more? Peter by far, because Judas fell once and never got back up. But Peter had the rest of his life to fall and to stumble, but to learn and to grow and to grow more into the likeness of God because he was willing to get back up. The difference between the righteous and the wicked is not that the righteous never fall, it's that they keep getting up. And I believe the single secret to succeeding in this Christian walk is three words that can radically transform your life and save you for eternity is to keep getting up. Say it with me now. Keep getting up. Amen. So in your, in your, in your marriages, you may be struggling. In your, in your practice, doctors and dentists, maybe you didn't have the ministry that you thought that you would when you were maybe standing in my shoes, first year of medicine. Just keep getting up. In your schoolwork, maybe your relationship with God is not as strong as it was before we began school. Keep getting up. In your friendships, in all your struggles, keep getting up. You know, there is one time that God will not forgive us. And that's the time that we don't ask. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. First John chapter 1, verse 9. And notice here that the Bible never goes from verse 8 to verse 10, right? As wretched as you may think you have been, God doesn't reach down into your Bible and remove this verse. It's there every time that you go to it. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Isn't that right? Jesus here is telling us to get back up, dust yourself off, stay in the fight. Let's try, let's try this one again. You know, I can, I can tell you from my own experience, if you spend time in God's Word every day, spend time in prayer, that God can do something supernatural in your life. He can recreate in you a clean heart, can He not? And it has to be that way. It has to be from God to, to, to be able to get the victory over sin. You know, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Psalm 51, verse 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And you know, I love the Bible. There's, in the Hebrew, there's a few different words that you can use for create, right? Um, I'm not sure of, of all the different words, but this word David was very particular about. It's used seldom other times, seldom. I think the only other time it's used is in Genesis, because it means to create something out of nothing. Because David knew where he was, this was after the Bathsheba experience that he wrote this psalm. He knew that, he, he knew that his heart was desperately wicked and, uh, how does Jeremiah say it? And deceitful of all, above all things. Who can know it? He knew that God had to do something supernatural and recreated him a clean heart. And you know, it's, it's all about the distances, Right? If there's a sin that's been kind of, kind of dogging you and you fall to it on Tuesday and fall to it on Thursday, 
that doesn't mean you have to fall to it again on Saturday. Those distances can get a little bit longer and a little bit longer, right? And, and call, me, call me a little crazy here, but I think that you can fall to that sin for the last time. Does anybody here believe that? I believe you can fall to that sin for the last time. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I believe in this Christian faith. You know, there are, very, there are excellent philosophical reasons. There are great arguments that can be put forth from the Christian perspective to show that belief in God is reasonable, right? But we do not believe in God through pure reason. God has, God has left it open to us to where we can make a decision one way or the other. But just, I love the story of John chapter 9. The blind man came. They said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, you know, I'm not here to talk about that. He's going to show a greater work. So this man that had really no other prior knowledge of Jesus, he was healed by him. And then he was standing before either the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin, and they said, uh, you know, they were trying to get him to say that Jesus was a sinner and he was a bad guy. And he was basically like, you know, whether this guy is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know is although I was once blind, now I can see. And that's how you know that God is real, because he can do things for you that that man cannot do for himself. Um, so keep getting up, dust yourself off, stay in the fight. I want to read one last quote to you. It's taken from the book Steps to Christ. Notice that title, Steps to Christ. doesn't say the jump to Christ, right? There are those who have known, this is taken on page 64, there are those who have known the pardoning love of Christ and who really desire to be the children of God. Yet they realize that their character is imperfect. Their life faulty. And they are ready to doubt whether their hearts have ever been renewed by the Holy Spirit. To such I would say, do not draw back in despair. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes but we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken of God, or rejected of God, no. Christ is at the right hand of God, who also make intercession for us, said the beloved John, these things are right to you, that ye not sin. And if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteousness. I told you we come back to Floyd Patterson. Now, he had, he had a couple records. What was his first record? The youngest ever to win the championship of boxing. 21 years old. A very successful boxer. Anybody have an idea what his second record was? Yeah. Yeah, he had three records, actually. He was the youngest to, to lose and then regain the title. And then his third record was he's been knocked down more than anyone in the history of boxing. Now, he passed away in 2006, but before he passed away, a, a reporter interviewed with him and asked him, you know, Mr. Patterson, how does it feel to be knocked down more than anyone else in the history of boxing? And he humbly replied, well, that just means I got back up more than anyone else. So it is with the Christian experience. Just because you're, you believe in Christ, it doesn't mean that you're never going to stumble, you're never going to fall, but it's those that are willing to get back up. And believe the promise, Philippians 1, verse 6. Love this verse. Coming to a close here. Philippians 1, verse 6. And Paul says here, 
For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Believe the promises of the Bible. Believe that God will get you through and he will finish the work that he has begun in you. Um, You know, if you ever think that you think about giving up on this Christian experience and think about walking out on the church, you know, it reminds me of uh, John chapter 6 explaining the, um, Jesus was saying, you know, I am the bread of life and whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood will have eternal life. And many people were confused by this. And they were like, what is this guy saying? Um, And people were leaving. They were saying, this is a hard saying. Who can bear it? So then after some of the multitudes leave, Jesus turns his, his attention to the 12. He says, what about you guys? You out of here too? And uh, praise God for what Peter said, because he said, uh, to where else are we going to go? For it is you who hold the words of eternal life. So if you think about giving up and walking out on the church and the truth of God, think about it. Where else are you going to go? You know, I can tell you from my own experience, there are, there are a lot of things that I still struggle with, big time. Um, and there are things that God still needs to do in my life. And there's, there's a, a, a man that I still see that I can become, right? And although I may not be that, that man that I want to be, I can stand in front of you today and say, I praise the Lord that I'm not the man I used to be. Can anybody resonate with that in here? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the, the encouragement we give you, that you give us in scripture. We thank you for working with us through our struggles, and we thank you that you can get us through these. And I pray for each individual in here that whatever it is, is the sin that they seem to not be able to shake in their life that keeps popping up, that you will keep working with them and encourage them to keep getting up and to stay in the fight, and that you will see us through to the end and perfect the work that you have begun in us. We love you so much. Let all of Advent hope say.